Um, there's no problem. No problem. We move on. No, like nothing happened. Something like that. You know, if you tell a joke and it stinks, but you put a laugh track over it, the joke still stinks. Welcome to The Secret Cinema, a podcast for offbeat films and the people who talk about them. As always, my name is Paolo Carone, and I co-host this podcast with Carrie Chafee. Today, we're joined again by Wade to discuss Barry Levinson's 2005 political comedy, Man of the Year. I don't want to bury the lead here, so I'll just say it. This movie sucks. I've got some clips I want to play, but first, here's Carrie with the plot summary. When Tom Dobbs decides to run for President of the United States... No one takes him seriously. That could be because he's a comedian and talk show host. But when Dobbs wins the presidential election, one person stops laughing. Eleanor Green from Delacroix, the private company behind the electronic voting system for the nation's election. Eleanor investigates Delacroix and Dobbs and soon learns that voting is no laughing matter. So, to give you an idea of how bad this film is, here's a quick clip of what all three of us agreed was one of the film's best jokes. You just told me I didn't win the election. Whoops. Computer malfunction. She knows this, for sure. Yeah. She tried to warn the Delacroix company and they hit it. A little bad for business. You don't believe her, do you? I do. It's true. I always thought the TV Nielsen ratings were full of shit, but this... Hard to believe all those years that many people watch JAG. I never met anybody who'd say, hey, did you see JAG last night? Do you hear how slowly paced the conversation is? And how sad Robin Williams sounds? Even still, that's one of the best jokes in the film. Man of the Year has major tonal issues, which are best exemplified by what I'm about to play for you now, the film's lone jump scare. Now, as you listen to this clip, Remind yourself, just keep it in your head, that this film is a comedy. We are now going to go live back to Election Central, where Chris Matthews is standing by. Chris? Hold on to your hats, folks. Tom Dobbs. (laughs) (laughs) Comedian Tom Dobbs is the next president of the United States. Hilarious, right? Anyway, for our third sample, we're going to do something different. Because this episode is being released in the midst of a presidential election, I thought it would be fun to play the presidential debate from the film. It's a laughably simplistic attempt at satire, and it's so lazily written that two of the three presidential nominees aren't even given first names. The debate contains tons of stuff we criticize in the episode, but it runs about nine minutes, so instead of playing it now, we're going to play it in full after the discussion. If you're just here for the clip, skip to the last ten minutes. If not, please enjoy our discussion of Man of the Year. Okay, so we're going to talk about Man of the Year. <laughs> I thought we could begin by thinking about like the different types of bad movies that there are. So in my mind, there are three. There's, like, the bad movies that you watch because they're so bad, they're hilarious and imminently enjoyable. So stuff like The Room, obviously, is kind of, like, the, the, the classic. most obvious example. <laughs> like right? bad horror movies. Right, yeah, anything like that. 
And they're like the bad movies that just express really abhorrent moral views. Like most like the Transformer movies are like that. Because like Michael Bay knows how to make spectacle and generally the movies look... I mean, they look ridiculous, but they still look competent for the most part. But yeah. then it's just like everything else is just atrocious. And then there are movies that are just like ineptly made through and through. <laughs> rangely extremely boring. And Man of the Year certainly falls into this latter category. Oh yeah. It yeah, pretty much from start to finish, it's it fails at everything it tries, and it fails at really basic filmmaking stuff, all the way up to the big picture point that it's trying to make it uh i was because usually with these movies there's at least a couple things that i can find to defend like even during butterfly effect i defended the directing yeah. and stuff like that well and butterfly effect kind of falls into the category of hilarious bad movie. yeah but yeah but this like yeah it really there's maybe two or three successful moments in this whole movie but i think they're successful <laughs> because they're unintentionally hilarious I don't know, there's maybe like, there's maybe two jokes, two, not even jokes, like just lines. The Jag, the Jag joke. There's, there's a joke about Jag <laughs> joke that about Robin that. Williams delivers, which is actually really good. Um, and maybe one other line, there may be one other moment that's unintentionally funny. I'm trying to think, I can't recall right off the top of my mind. But everything else is just baffling, like just really baffling formal choices in this movie. By a director who's been in the business for decades. Oh, yeah. yeah. Barry Levinson. He'd been, been in for 30 movies. years by the yeah. time he made this movie. And he's Academy Award-winning director, Barry <laughs> Levinson. Oh. Footnote. Yeah. yeah, he's made some good movies. Like, uh, Toys is okay. It's great. I like Toys. <laughs> LL Cool J's in Toys. <laughs> <laughs> toys definitely shows the early signs of this type of directing. But no, yeah, by far... Toys is so much better than this movie because Toys at least there's like there's problems but Toys looks beautiful. Yeah. The set design is clearly very important and very well integrated into the story and some of the best moments come from the union of uh, production design, cinematography, just like even him putting the camera in just the right place to make it look good. And this movie is like they just did a, like one take of everything. They didn't plan shots out it doesn't it just it makes no sense there's no logic or symbolism behind any directing choices and it extends into the editing where you can tell there's no shots that they can cut to that have value so they're just cutting to anything yeah, yeah. it's just a total well, mess one of the things i noticed is it seemed like barry levinson's directing was that he wanted the film audience to feel like the audience that is in the movie. So, for example, the main character, Rob Williams, he has a TV show, and there's several times where we're supposed to be in the audience of his TV show, and so we have a shitty view of Robin Williams on his TV show. Well, yeah, there's... Yeah. So maybe we talk about the camera work in this movie for at least for a little bit. Yeah. Because it's kind of, it's it's actually kind of interesting. When like when this movie when I first started watching this movie, and I'd already like this movie's reputation kind of precedes itself. It's it, when it first came out it got terrible reviews. Yeah. And, you know, it hasn't improved its age at all. It amazingly has a twenty one percent of rotten tomatoes. I'm amazed that it could be that high. So someone gave it a positive. <laughs> I found out that it was <laughs> featured on Siskel and Ebert's show. Yeah, uh, Roper gave it a thumbs up. Oh, man. What? Yeah. God, one he's more the worst. one more bullet in Richard Roper's heart. <laughs> 
<laughs> All right. Anyway, it's right. Like you were saying, it's going for this like immediate, close, shaky cam kind of effect. Yeah. It's like, and that's like not new. That's like breathless, basically. You know, yeah. it's kind of doing the same thing you know, 50, 60 years ago, whatever. And the point of doing that is like to really place you into the movie, into the world yeah. of these characters and make you feel really close and involved in their story. In this movie, it does the exact opposite. <laughs> yeah. There is like, throughout this movie, I have no idea where any of the characters are at any time. Really, I know yeah. they're in Washington D.C. and that is it. There <laughs> sometimes are no, they're sometimes, in Washington, mostly, but yeah, that that's unclear, and that yeah. shouldn't be unclear in a movie like this. Yeah, actually, where was the business that Laura Linney's character works for? I'm where, assuming where was it was in D.C., but you're that, that yeah. you're not sure, right? Yeah, yeah you have no yeah. idea. I mean, it it really doesn't matter, but yeah, at the same time, the location of the film is never really established, except when Tom Dobbs, a.k.a. Robin Williams, becomes president. Right. Spoiler alert. Then we know. Oh, we're in D.C. <laughs> it's like, so, in the previous podcast, we talked about rules of engagement, and I think, Paolo, you brought up this great establishing scene in the movie in which the camera kind of curls around a sign um, for, a, I feel like, a military outpost oh, in America. Yeah. It can, like, curls around the sign and reveals, like, a long walkway or maybe road leading up to a big, kind of imposing building. Yeah. It's very military. It's like, it's a, it, it immediately, boom, you're there, you know where you are. Like, the general mood is established. Mm -hmm. And there are no scenes like that. Or that ha even have that effect in this movie. Yeah. Well, and every shot is either, like you said... You're seeing people, but you don't know where they are. You don't know where they're in relation to other people. Uh, there's That's most of the shots, but then they'll intercut those shots with shots like um, during one of, the, one of his speeches in the early going before he's president, they cut to a camera behind a sign. You're seeing like the backside of a sign <laughs> in a dark room. And they'll cut to it for like three seconds and they'll cut back to uh, just like whatever the shot before is. And they do that all the time yeah. in this movie. They constantly have like it seemed, it legitimately seemed to me that they somehow both shot too much footage and yet it, they forgot to shoot key plot points because they were just having so much fun because there's clearly a lot of like improv and scenes where people are just like like they're like they tell Robin Williams to riff and everyone's just sitting around and laughing well, and cut out all the fun parts yeah, yeah. <laughs> it, see it also seems like there are as many exterior shots even though we don't know what the location of the film is there's as many exterior shots as there are shots establishing the plot like Oh, we're driving down the road. Oh, we're in the bus going across America. <laughs> there are oh. a lot. There are a lot of scenes of cars in motion. Yeah, yeah and yeah. it would. I would call it the superfly rule, where you're padding the movie by showing people driving. But this movie is two hours yeah. long. It doesn't need padding. <laughs> yeah, it, it, there's probably about ten minutes of driving yeah. footage do, in do, this do, movie. Do, well, so and superfly car. gets by because Curtis Mayfield wrote the soundtrack, yeah. and it's amazing. Yeah, and this, so I like and like the driving scenes. You know, really establish the mood. Of yeah, that. you get at least yeah. you get the feel of the city. Yeah, right. Exactly. Yeah, you know where you are. Whereas in this, where they're driving. Yeah, all the more specific I can get in this movie is 
You, oh, now they're in Washington, D.C. Not any specific place in Washington, D.C. It's like in the city yeah. somewhere. Yeah. Oh, now they're in... I think they drive past the White House four times. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah, D.C. now. <laughs> Just in case you forgot, we're still in D.C. Here we are at the White House again. Yeah, right. It's like, yeah, we're D.C. Oh, now we're in a campaign bus in middle America. Well, and there's also a shot, there's a shot where... There's a shot where the camera is on the roof of the tour bus, and it's just showing the top of the tour bus as it drives through the countryside. It's like, who cares? I don't care about that. I don't want to see that. That doesn't do anything for, oh, look at this great journey they're going on touring <laughs> yeah. the country. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we could rant. Yeah, anyway. oh, I'm gonna. I'm gonna <laughs> rant. That's a, yeah. The trouble with going over the directing is we can pretty much go shot by shot and be like, "This is what's wrong with this shot. This is what's wrong with this shot." This <laughs> like, well, I think another major problem in this film is, like I said earlier, Barry Levinson is trying to put us in the place of the audience, and so regularly in the movie we're watching television on the film. Like there, the the film yeah. is just filming there are television. A lot of shots of television. <laughs> Plan. There's so much <laughs> fake news being reported, and it does. It's not even shot like it's actually fake news, or uh, it's shot like with shitty quality, yeah. and, or it's like a flat screen TV on an ugly wall, and like, look at this <laughs> television on this ugly wall, and watch the news. It's okay to start on the lighting. Oh yeah, it's like yellow. It's like oh. piss yellow. It looks like movie. someone peed uh, all over. Except the for the scenes where it's Ireland. Green, which is like, <laughs> well, that's like corporate headquarters. Like, green is green, right? Or something like that. Oh, yeah. I don't know. He must have no concept of color theory. Well, no. and the other thing I was wondering whenever they show Tom Dobbs' show, they show that big background where it's the world map and then there's the big green thing behind the it. Green screen, yeah. And presumably it's green screen, but they never once show you what it would actually look like they to do. watch that show. Yeah, there's they, a one moment. Oh, there yeah, is? They show there is like one, one green But, but <laughs> again, it's you're watching him on a monitor. Okay. That's right. like in the studio. So the background is still like the green screen, but then on the monitor it shows the green screen being filled in. Okay. So it's not I, even a good shot. I barely, of, yeah, I completely missed it. Don't worry about it. But, yeah. <laughs> but even so, with all those TV shots. You were too busy writing notes about was, how bad this yeah. was. <laughs> looking in disgust. But, um, well, and anytime they do those, those TV shots, they always, they pretty much every time intercut it with somebody laughing like the the one you mentioned I, th I think the scene you're talking about where they're actually showing his clip that's being watched by laura linney at oh, yeah. her house and so they'll show him tell a joke and they'll cut to laura linney going <laughs> or wow or just like really <laughs> amazed by his like his hack, comedic brilliance yeah his uh, hacky, <laughs> hacky comedy and uh or they'll cut to christopher walking going hit him again or nailed it or, <laughs> or, <laughs> <laughs> just yeah they do that <laughs> they did that so many times. Uh, the first time I watched this movie, this was the thing that really made me hate this movie. There are so many shots throughout the movie. Uh, and this movie is about a comedian uh, and the, the world of comedy and how comedy is used. Presumably, they're putting in the position of comedies where we can be honest about our right. world. So when they do that, they have to they have a character telling jokes. And every time that character tells jokes, they always cut to somebody laughing or cut to somebody saying he's great or cut to someone saying like, this is the greatest joke of all time. Something along those lines. <laughs> and, and, and it just like, 
there is, I mean, there's nothing more infuriating in a comedy than being told by the comedy that it's right. fun. It's the last Well, yeah, time. I mean, yeah. there's that moment where Robin Williams is like, if you tell a joke and it stinks, if you put a laugh track, laugh track over it, it still stinks, and it's like, that's a, that's the whole movie! <laughs> <Yeah>. Jesus. Stamped <laughs> it. Except instead of a laugh track, they just get actors to actually laugh at the jokes <laughs> in the movie. <laughs> uh, and, and one, so, thing that, one thing that really drove me nuts is anytime anything happened that was being filmed in the movie, so like... When Robin Williams' character is going on the debate and the debate is being filmed, after those scenes, they switch again to TV reporters summarizing what we just saw. So, like, in case you missed it, Robin Williams was on a debate and this is how it went. And they do it, all, like, three or four times in the movie. Oh, yeah, and... And that was the thing that was driving me insane for a while, where I was just like, why? Like, obviously, this is just, like, a big screw-up, but I realized, essentially, what it's substituting for is it, what in a normal movie would be cutting to the public reacting to the candidate. Right, exactly. Yeah. And, like, yeah, at no oh. point does this movie about... That's apparently about all of us in the world we live about in. Like populist and politics. Our, oh yeah, and our, us being fed <laughs> up with politics. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Who cares about the public? Well, and not this movie. Clearly. <laughs> yeah, and it just, it just like I, the movie. I, the movie that I guess would be the closest to succeeding at the type of satire this is aiming for is something like being there. Where the the tele television and politics oh, yeah. and society are all very smoothly immigrate integrated immigrated and um, <laughs> and they moved to America. <laughs> what can we do, America? Sorry. <laughs> and so they um, they integrate all those elements together, and so we have elements of the common man. We see uh, Louise uh, who knows the truth about the person who is the influential politician character. Is that Laura Linney's character's name? No, sorry, I'm still talking about being there. Oh, okay. Louise, the, the housekeeper. I, but, okay. um, so that, but that movie does it well by essentially constantly switching milieu and constantly trying to blend things and not being like, all right, let's just keep going to the TV well. Like, we need something explained, go to the TV well. Well, and that like, movie finds... also doesn't explicitly state anything. That's true. The TV, when it's used there, it's, it's commentary on the scene rather than commentary explaining the right. scene. It's, it's, yeah. And so this, but yeah, because like you guys said, it always just cuts to somebody explaining the scene. We, every scene is badly edited and badly shot and then plays two or three times within itself. Uh, <laughs> this movie is so ironic too because the whole point of the movie that Robin Williams is arguing is that, you know, politi politicians will tell you whatever they want you to think and that's exactly what this movie is trying to do. It's like, okay, we want you to think this, so we're going to explain <laughs> it this way. There may be like a, a subtle meta critique <laughs> within the movie. Um, <laughs> so not to derail or talk about how um, bad this movie is, but I, when I was looking into this film, I found out that there, and I completely forgot about this movie, but there was a movie that came out three years before this movie. Starring Chris Rock, called Head of State. Yeah! <laughs> where Chris Rock is basically, it's oh, this man. exact same movie, 
where he it he actually has political experience and he gets like fired but then the party decides to pick him as the candidate and then he accidentally gets elected and they're like yeah, I guess you're president now. And that's the whole plot of the movie. And that movie is way better than this movie. Also, it's way more progressive than this movie because it's about a black man becoming president. That's true. That's the that's the one of the things that drove me nuts about this about Man of the Year is there is no obstacle to Robin Williams becoming president. Oh. The only obstacle is that he's not a family man. And they really try to punch that up when they go to the debate. And they're like, oh yeah, I want to thank my family. And, and Robin Williams doesn't thank anybody. Well, actually, I want to pick off that really quickly. Because I realized, too, that you remember, there's that moment where Laura Linney says to someone, after the whole a scene we'll get to later, Laura Linney <laughs> says to somebody, someone says to Laura Linney, who's going to believe you? And Laura Linney looks at the president on TV and is like, he's going to believe me. <laughs> and this guy has essentially has this reputation as like, he's the man of the people. And every time you see him speak, he's telling hacky vaudeville style jokes that don't mean anything that don't take any real political position that doesn't real real anything about his struggle uh not even on his show does he do that yeah. so how does anybody feel like they know anything about him he doesn't he, i okay again i do this all the time but Carrie, describe traits of tom dobbs try to describe a couple character traits besides the fact that he's a comedian uh... <laughs> Extend that to every character yes. in this movie. Um, I, I think he likes paintball. Does that, <laughs> does that count as a, a character? Yeah, according to the movie. Long he seems to be, paintball He seems to be relatively loyal. <laughs> and naive. Alright, this is an exercise in <laughs> utility. Torture. <laughs> well, we can talk about, I guess, just... We were talking like the the thematic, the inherent thematic failing of the movie. Okay. And that it's a movie about comedy that is not in any way funny. Yes. Oh. And yeah. it, like I said, it makes that joke about like adding a laugh track, and then there's a point where Christopher Walken says, "Comedy sells," and it's like, <laughs> oh. I mean, this movie did make back its budget and and some, but yeah. I'm sure. Well, it was it, a lot of really talented people are involved in this movie. Robin yeah. Williams, Jeff uh, Goldblum, Chris, Jeff Goldblum, uh, Which, Christopher Walken, Louis Black. If you're Laura a Jeff, Linney. yeah, if you're a Jeff Goldblum fan, don't watch this movie. It's not worth it. He's great, but not in this. Well, movie. Well, Jeff Goldblum's character could be played by like a, a dead monkey. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, I we we realized towards the end of the movie that. Jeff Goldblum is the primary antagonist, and at no point does anybody say his name. Or... <laughs> no, no. We know we know his position within the movie's universe. He's, he's the CEO also... of Evil Corporation, but he's not the CEO because there is a CEO. Who he's says something almost else. Nothing. I mean, chair he's of like the board the of directors, director or something. Or yeah. trustees. Yeah. I think, and I think there's only two shots of Jeff Goldblum that are well lit. So. Even if you like Jeff Goldblum, you're not going to well, see him in, in good lighting. At the very beginning of the movie, there's a, a really brief shot of the evil corporation, which is the main antagonist, the Zoe Delacroix. Yeah. Um, which uh, you, uh, you guys will explain yeah. earlier. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, we've already went over that. There's a really brief shot of like him and the other CEO, who is just some guy we 
don't care about. Sitting on a couch in the Delacroix offices. Like, it made like two seconds on Jeff Goldblum. And it cuts away. And I was like, wait, is that Jeff Goldblum? And then like 15 minutes later, or like maybe more than that, far like later in the movie, it goes back to Jeff Goldblum. And he's shot... And like a balcony of the party yeah. that Delacroix is throwing because oh, yeah, just from like, below too. Right, from below. He like shot again. And like it's so he's so shadowy in that shot. You can't even <laughs> tell it's Jeff Goldblum. I was like unsure if he was in the movie until like an hour in. Yeah. He I well and him being in the movie doesn't matter. Like he it could have been a cardboard cutout of Jeff Goldblum. Yeah, it's like <laughs> Well, yeah. As the antagonist, we don't actually see him working with the people who are trying to do his bidding we don't basically we see him talk to laura linney a couple times and then we see him like on the phone or talking with the ceo or just stuff like that but he basically he could it's it feels like those old 60s and 70s movies where it's like a cheapy movie and they get some big star to be in it and you can tell they only had him for one day mm. so all of their scenes are in like one room and they just like write the movie around it's like Bela Lugosi in Plan 9 for Outer Space <laughs> it's like it's like it feels like that where it's just like he's always in a generic room right. he's never doing anything he's barely ever interacts with anybody yeah. I don't think he's in a scene with Robin Williams he's not no. in a scene with no. Chris Black he's no. not in a scene with Chris Walken it's just like I wonder what he was working remote. on at this time where he was like I can only do two days of shooting I don't Bro, know. 2006. What were you doing, Jeff? I think he was in Tim and Eric. <laughs> <laughs> really busy. Yeah. Far better year. That was the year he took uh, a nine-month vacation in the Caribbean. <laughs> he took a wait, mate. <laughs> I, I want to go back to um, what I was saying about how the whole point of the movie is that Tom Dobbs, this comedian, he's running for president... And at the beginning of the movie, it seems infeasible that he will be elected for president. Right. But he is a white, privileged, wealthy man with an actual platform on television every night. And it, somehow it's unrealistic that he will get elected president. So they have to give him some kind of barrier, some kind of thing that you know, will hold him back from being president. So at first they're like, okay, well, let's make him boring on the campaign trail. How is that interesting for us as an audience? Yeah, in the first 10 minutes, by about the 10 minute mark of this movie, everybody is bored. And they cut the shot yeah. of him being like, oh. <laughs> There's like a shot of Luce like yawning. There's a shot of Christopher Walken sleeping. They cut to, like, they show him speaking and the crowd looks bored and... What a bad move to just, like, set in the... Everybody's bored, yeah. Yeah, and then the second barrier, they're like, oh, you know what, uh, Ron Williams, you aren't a family man. And he's like, well, what if I hold my mother's ashes while I'm on the podium? Oh, what and a they, terrible Well, joke. they just joke it off. Right, they, they joke. They're, like, they're trying to, like... Yeah, yeah, and he's like, he asks his uh, makeup artist... Makeup artist? Stylist? Yeah, makeup person. yeah. Hey, will you marry me? I'm gonna be on stage in 15 minutes. Let's get hitched. Like, oh, yeah, there's a bunch brother. Of, there's a bunch of stuff where it's they do. They don't, I don't even call it lip service. That's giving me a lot of credit. But um, they they mention things that it would seem like they would have to deal with, and they brush over it because okay. And we kind of have to mention that the the part where he gets elected, the whole thing where he announce he announces he's gonna run to he is president is probably about. 
30 minutes. Right. <laughs> they compressed two years worth of election. What most people would consider the movie, or mo yeah. at least the first half of the movie. Yeah. In case you're wondering, that's not the plot of the movie. The plot of the movie is not, oh, will this comedian get elected? Or what kind of shenanigans will a silly man, right. like, which, that's <laughs> like, I feel like there, is there a Mr. Bean movie or something like that that goes into that plot? Very likely. Where it's like, it could be so easy, but, okay, and I, I guess I'll just get into it. The real plot of the movie is about voter fraud, but not in a, like, well, and I, I, I was about to say, not in a funny way, but there's no funny way to really <laughs> do a movie about voter fraud. But um, it becomes this, like, it gets you in this thing of, like, it's about comedy, it's about the, con the concept of comedy and how it works in our culture, and then cuts to this thriller, this, like, Three Days of the Condor, Parallax View type thriller where Laura Linney discovers that Delacroix, the voting system company, there's an error. And so Tom Dobbs was elected by accident, and she's the only person who knows about this. So it leads to this scene in this comedy where after, basically after Jeff Goldblum and the CEO find out that she knows, Laura Linney is home alone, and she's getting ready for bed, and she's watching the election coverage as the results come in, and she hears a bump in her house, and she's looking around, and uh, she doesn't know what's going on, and all, and like she goes back to her TV, and Chris Matthews shows up, and he's like, "Oh, we just we have some breaking Not, news." He doesn't show up in her house. Oh no, he shows up on TV. <laughs> uh, Chris Matthews pops up on the TV, and he's like, "We have some breaking news." It appears that Tom Dobbs, and right then there's like a sting, like a ah, like a big musical cue, and a guy jumps out in all black and stabs Laura Linney with a needle. And, yeah, a syringe. A syringe, and um. And then, okay. <laughs> so, so in this movie that's supposed to be a comedy, all of a sudden there's a jump scare. And admittedly, it works. It's it's actually, a, yeah, it's a good yeah, it's it's And that, that lead up is actually like the best filmmaking in the whole movie. Oh, yeah. yeah. The, the best filmmaking in this ostensible comedy <laughs> is when they set up this like really kind of perverse jump scare. <laughs> which Laura Linney is like stabbed with heroin. Yeah. Jeez. <laughs> Super drug cocktail. And then the next morning... They, uh, they show uh, Laura Linney, she's like taking a shower. And she's and watching TV in her bathroom. In her bathroom. everybody's got a TV in their bathroom and there can't be a shot without a TV. There's, and yeah, they gotta, they gotta do exposition somehow. They, they're, <laughs> so uh, televisions are everywhere <laughs> explaining the plot. <laughs> but she like, she looks over her shoulder and she sees when a syringe hit her. And so she's like, hmm, that's weird. So she just <laughs> forgot. She forgot something broke in her house. And well, also... Yeah, because when you get uh, dosed up with drugs, you just forget about everything that <laughs> you happened. immediately black <laughs> But uh, so she's like, well, whatever. So then it cuts to... But she's so high on drugs, she still remembers to go to work. Yeah, but that's what I'm getting to. <laughs> yeah. Is, um, so after... There's like another bullshit scene or something. And then... It cuts to Laura Linney is in the cafeteria at Delacroix, at work. And this scene, even though this is a terrible scene, but it's the best scene by far. Yeah, oh, yeah. this is the, the unintentionally scene. funny, oh, really yeah. funny scene. Laura Linney goes up to get to, like, the coffee stand at the cafeteria, and the guy's like, hey, Eleanor, her character's name, hey, Eleanor, how's it going? And she's like, you should be paying more attention. I want a coffee. And he's like, oh, all right, okay. And, and, and he's <laughs> like, somebody's got a case of the Mondays. And the thing is, too, we should really clarify, we emphasize that she has drugs in her system. The movie has not told us that she has drugs in her system. No. We see her get stabbed with a needle of some kind, and she wakes up in the morning and doesn't remember it. Right. And then it cuts to her ordering coffee and being like, 
Like, you idiot. You idiot, give me my coffee! Rush, hurry up! And then this other guy comes up, and he's like, hey, Eleanor, how's it going? And she's like, it's my turn first. I'm ordering, you can wait. And he's like, sorry, I didn't realize you were such a bitch. And, uh, and then, um, they, they, like, the coffee gets prepared, she picks up her purse, and, like, shakes everything out. And she has that, like, manic, like, meth look to her. She's, like, twitchy, and her eyes are wide open. She's, like, sweaty, and her hair is stringy. She's just shaking everything out of her purse. She gets, like, one dollar and slams it on the counter, and then she just leaves her purse and everything just on the counter. She grabs her coffee, walks to a nearby table, and everyone is staring at her by this point, and she gets a bunch of sugar packets, and she takes the lid off, and she's, like, holds the sugar packets four feet in the air over the and just like dumping well, sugar everywhere. The scene, the scene is like drug addiction written by like Boy Scout Jesus. Oh yeah, it's like someone yeah. who has like no concept of what drugs do to a human. <laughs> While like how like the progress of addiction and how that like debases the mind and you kind of like <laughs> descend as drugs a person. Make you crazy. She yeah. she had one syringe of some cocktail of drugs injected into her and apparently like her whole personality disintegrated <laughs> in also, one day. But yeah. she again, she made it to work. She did. On time. She got it on time. <laughs> she made it to work, yeah. And she was dressed. Anyway. And, and even yeah, when she's taking the shower, she's not like <sighs> like jittery or anything. So like she seems normal. When they cut, they they could have just not shown her getting ready in the morning, but they show her getting ready, so she is established as being normal. So she she puts the sugar in the coffee. She grabs a stir and puts it in the coffee, and somehow stirs it in a way that like knocks it on the floor, spills it all over her, and she starts going, "Oh, I spilled my coffee. I made a mess. I made a mess. I made a mess." And people are like, "Come on, let me help you." And she's like, "No, get away." from me and then she, she goes over to the coffee stand and she's like did you take my purse were you messing with my purse how dare you and uh <laughs> some guy just shows up with a mop and she grabs the mop and it's like it's my mess it's my mess and she's just wiping the coffee up and eventually someone says like can someone call 911 and the scene just fades to black but yeah like i said no at no point during the scene do you know what they they reveal later that she has been dosed with it's like heroin, cocaine, GHB, morphine. I think they say meth. Barbiturates. Uh, <laughs> like everything. Yeah, don't Every they say drug. like codeine or stuff like yeah, that? It's like yeah, it, it's a cocktail that would probably kill you. Yeah, she'd be dead. Or And if it did kill you, it'd probably kill you when it was administered. Not, what, like 12 hours <laughs> later? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Laura Liddy's blood flow really slow. Yeah, that drug took a while to get into her. Maybe system. also in that syringe was chloroform, and they just. <laughs> yeah, I mean, this is. I mean, you could speculate. Yeah. I don't. <laughs> I don't. Someone crumbled the forget me now into it. <laughs> I don't think that's how chloroform works, but that is how forget-me-nows work. <laughs> but yeah, but I mean, still, these two scenes really just sum up how this film has no tone at all. Like, it clearly is supposed to be a comedy and has maybe things you could call dramatic elements, but there's no tone at any point that, like, tells you what you're supposed to feel or what you're... I mean, it, there's people saying, like, this is how it is. This is how it is. But there's nothing... The, the no mood is established you feel nothing you just kind of like I, well and also the movie usually the dumbest movie knows that when you start a movie you open with some sort of tone setting thing and this movie starts before the first image has shown on screen 
Christopher Walken is already providing exposition that you need to <laughs> yeah, know for the rest first, of the movie. His first line is, one thing leads to another. Which immediately reminded me of the great 80s song by The Fix, Double X. Christopher Walken? One thing leads to another. That's a good song. Well, it's a great song. And as you guys pointed out, too, in that op- the movie opens with a framing device of Christopher Walken relating the story to somebody... And I'm pretty sure as soon as it cuts away from that, there's not really any narration. Uh, there's a little bit, but it kind of, after like 10 minutes, it drops off. And then that framing device never comes back until like the second to last shot of the movie. And, and they never explain who he's talking to. They don't explain where he is or why he's no. the person who has to tell the story, considering no, they don't. this is a story that played out on national television. That's <laughs> <laughs> you needed to explain it. <laughs> I, still, I still like my idea that Christopher Walken is actually in an insane asylum and he's <laughs> not explaining the story to anyone anyone <laughs> and okay and i i realize now we're already starting to jump around but christopher walken's character after like right around the time right before tom dobbs gets elected christopher walken gets sick and goes to the hospital why did that ever pay off did that ever affect anything that happened in the no. movie well I mean, they do <laughs> emphasize in the first part of the movie that christopher walken loves to smoke he's a big smoker loves that tobacco and I guess that is the explanation for his medical emergency. But it's not like he dies, and so Tom Dobbs has to right. win. There or... is no, there's a no emotional payoff for his illness. Yeah, yeah. there's no Again, plot yeah. point attached to that illness. It's just like it's, it's just a script. <laughs> well, yeah, <flaw laughs> that was not ironed out. And they casually mention, oh yeah, Christopher Walken's character has emphysema. Whatever. And then at the end, you see Christopher Walken, like, dancing on an airplane, like, hey, we're having a great time, let's drink some champagne. What? Yeah. <laughs> but that goes back to the fact that Tom Dobbs, or Robin Williams' character, he's facing no adversity to him winning the election, except that he might not win. Well, he's a character with, like, there's no struggle in his story. His friend gets sick and, you know, yeah, well, yeah, went to the hospital, but then the friend's fine. So like, that's not yeah. the point. So I guess we could get into the writing of this movie because in the first five minutes of this movie is Christopher Watkins explaining, oh, we were filming one of Tom Dobbs' shows and someone was like, hey, maybe you should run for president. And he's like, okay, I will. No explanation of why he wants to run for president or like any real explanation as to his motivations for running for president except that somebody thinks it's a good idea. Yeah. A good writer would establish some kind of motive or... Yeah, I mean, even, like, it's it's something we complain about because it's... You, you see it so often, but you see it so often because that's it's... how you're supposed to do it. Uh, just giving, like, the character... He had an ex-wife who, instead of having his ex-wife be a bitch, like, they seem to make everybody's ex-wife in this movie, uh, he could have been like, my ex-wife died because of this... Thing, and this is a political issue this year, and so it's important for me to get involved. Like, there's so many things, that just little things that they could have done. There's so many things that could have been subbed in to be, like, really relatable or just, like, justify something so we care or understand why he cares. And, yeah, they skip over every opportunity. Okay, well, in regards to the writing, how much of this movie would you guys say is improv? I, it's uh, quite a few... Quite a bit of it. Yeah. I uh, hope so. It seems like I... And you could speculate about how this movie got made. Yeah. 
But it, it seems like, like we were talking earlier, like Barry Levinson's a well-loved figure in, in Hollywood. Yeah. Right? He's been the kin out there forever. And he and he clearly has, like, I mean, he's made, he, his early movies, by all accounts, I still have to see a lot of them, are really strong and he does, in, he tells interesting stories and they're very human and uh, they're grounded. And then I think once he got successful, he kind of decided to switch over to, like, high concept stuff. And he really... Is that, like, post-Rain Man? I'd say, yeah, well, po- I'd say Toys is, like, the official turning point when okay. he stopped making the movies that he was actually... Good at. Good at, yeah. So it seems like, okay, just talking about, you, you were saying, how much of this movie is improv, right? Yeah. It seems like, to me, it seems like a lot of it was improvised. Yes. Right? And you just, I, you, you question how this script, like, skeletal, as it probably was. Yeah. Like, eventually... went through, got approved by the studio. It's got all these names attached to it. And then the parts that are clearly improvised fall so flat. Yeah. A a big part of improv, too, is the... uh, Unless what you come up with is, like, inherently funny, the only reason improv works is because of the spontaneity and you're, like, part of... So you feel the gestation of the joke. You feed off everyone else, you're... On stage with, and that's ex- uh, that's pretty much exactly why a lot of a lot of Robin Williams movies that do this, where he riffs, are not good movies because those scenes are like dead air. I'm sure it's like, I'm sure it's great on set to watch Robin Williams uh, do like do his thing, do his thing. There's like there's some David Simon story where he, the Robin Williams was on uh, Homicide, Life on the Streets, oh, yeah. and his wife is it's an episode where his wife is murdered. And he's, like, sitting around at the police station, and it's, like, really serious, and he's just, like, crying and yelling the whole episode. And he said even then, he would, like, during, between shots, he'd do bits and do routines, and it's like, oh, you're so funny! Uh, so, I, I, yeah, I guarantee everyone's having, I feel like everyone's having such a good time that they forgot to make the movie. Yeah. Maybe, but, I mean, what I'm gonna say, I mean, takes on added significance considering Bob Williams' death, but yeah. he seems, like, comatose. In this whole movie. Yeah. He seems like... He's phoning it in. He's down for the count. Yeah. yeah. You know, I'm like... And I quite frankly, no one else seems to exceed that energy. Yeah. Just very little. Yeah. yeah, I wrote down a line that Robin Williams says... He... I, I can't remember the context, but at one point, uh, Robin Williams says that uh, he was sweating like Elizabeth Taylor after a Mexican meal. Which means what? Yeah, and I was like, what? Does, what is that supposed to convey? Or, or, and and after there's he says there's another it, scene, there's another... Uh, well, and after he says it, everybody's like, oh, oh, you're so funny! <laughs> what? I, yeah, it just, it, it, it seemed like it's a very, it was a very self-indulgent movie. Yeah, this like faux, almost new wave of camera style yeah. and framing. You have all these big name comedians and improvisers attached to the project well, and they just came on set and kind of la di da let's just shoot the shit and film it yeah i'm sure very called robin was like hey robin <laughs> i got this movie do you want to be okay. the president of the united states you know we did toys together we had a good time we did good, good morning. morning vietnam we had a great time what was the other one didn't he do one more I'm sure. Yeah, <laughs> uh, we're we're good old pals, you know. I want I want you to be president of the United States in my next movie. And Robin's like, "Yeah, sure, sounds good." I'm not getting a lot of work right now. <laughs> 
I wrote down, yeah, I just while we're still on the screenplay, I wrote down some more just like jokes, one-off lines, give me an idea. Okay, uh, at one point Christopher Walken says to Robin Williams, she could tell you Gandhi ate hot dogs and you'd believe her. Uh, <laughs> First of all, Gandhi. 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 <laughs> There's there's a line right after Christopher Walken goes to the hospital when you still think it's something that matters and is serious. They're sitting in the waiting room, and Louis Black says, there seems to be a link between heart disease and smoking. Or did I just make that up? And no one <laughs> says anything, and it's just silence, and there's like five seconds of silence, and then end of scene. And no one <laughs> says anything before that, and is that a joke? Is that like... <laughs> it's just it's so frustrating the only other example and this way right below in my notes where I wrote Pina Kalanick because that is a joke (laughs) in this movie Um, there's a point where after Laura Linney talks to the CEO and Jeff Goldblum about the voting thing they have this really intense conversation she runs off Jeff Goldblum walks over to the railing where the CEO is standing the CEO says and and Jeff Goldblum says and and then end scene (laughs) (laughs) I wrote the dime because I was just like, oh my god. (laughs) Well, one of the things that I pointed out in the film is there's a scene right before the debate gets started where they're getting set up, everybody's getting introduced in the debate, and they show the monitor of the, the woman who is the moderator for the debate on a television screen, and then they cut to Christopher Walken coughing. And then they come back to the lady who's the moderator for the debate. What? Let's, Again, yeah. I mean, I keep saying what, but that's every. There was a point where every single one of us, while we were watching this movie, said, "What is happening?" <laughs> <laughs> we all were confused at some point in this movie. God, yeah. Which is funny because the next movie Barry Levinson did was "What Just Happened," <laughs> which you perhaps seen. a comedy. Well, you've seen it, right? Yeah. Well, and and what just happened, especially after watching this movie and like really thinking about how bad it is, really the balls on what just happened. Because, I mean, granted, he didn't write it, but what just happened is a movie about, like, this Hollywood producer who's like, man, these people just, they won't listen, and they won't trust how great of a, how a great producer can make a great movie, and the movies that they're trashing in that movie are, like, Amoris Peros, and, um, and there's another one, uh, oh, it's The Edge, because there's, like, there's a specific anecdote where that they're like parodying in the edge and the edge isn't a great movie but it's so much better at least in what it's aiming for than this i I don't know how barry levinson can get away with making such shitty movies and then be considered like the hollywood elite who gets to like make movies about how the real uh hollywood is like he i i it's not fair it's really not fair that like i mean yeah m night Shyamalan is rightfully in director jail uh and he only made what, like, four extremely terrible movies? Yeah. And Le- Barry Levinson, at this point, is probably at, like, six or seven. It's yeah. yeah. I think he's kind of, like, so old now that people are like, yeah, we'll just let him direct until he dies. <laughs> well, I mean, maybe he that's probably wields, but... And he probably wields quite a bit of studio. Oh, yeah. 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 He's got a lot of strong connections, right, I bet. Well, and he, well, also, he, he... he wrote for Mel Brooks, too, before oh, he was a director. Uh, and, and he so, wrote yeah, for the, didn't he write for the Carol Burnett show, too? Probably, yeah. He was a comedy well, writer. He was a comedy writer! <laughs> God, I just <laughs> thought about that! Um, 
He was a professional comedy writer, and this is what he wrote when he had a chance to write about the effect comedy has on him. Well, and he had a great actor like Rob Williams, and he was like, I'm just going to waste this opportunity. <laughs> I would... I would challenge great actors uh, okay. Rob Williams. All right. But it's maybe it was, another podcast. It was not at the peak of his career, but... Oh, no. yeah. The long, steady descent. Well, and also, Barry Levinson, the genius that he is, brought us a movie where Ben Stiller and Jack Black are friends, and Jack Black invents a product that makes poop disappear. Oh, that sounds like a movie I want to watch. Also, that movie is produced by Larry David, and Larry oh. David came up with the idea, and it's and Christopher Walken is also God, the only good thing in that movie, movie. Was that movie was worse than Man of the Year, but in a different way? No, Man of the Year is worse. You think Man <laughs> yeah. of the Year is worse? Because Envy, at least, I, I we're getting real off topic, but just to say really quickly, Envy. As bad as it is, you know what the point of Envy is That's the true. whole time you're watching it. That's true. <laughs> Man of the Year is so scattered. And I know we talked about this with Rules of Engagement where we were like, this movie doesn't know what it's trying to say or how to say it toward the end. Yeah. But it, it get, has to get to the point right. where it loses the plot. Man of the Year immediately just like loses you. And, and right from the beginning introduces sloppy elements and just continues at the same level the whole time. There's like a couple peaks or, or deep valleys, but for the most <laughs> part, it's just, it's, it's flatlining from the beginning. All right. Wait, well, wait, should we mention the, uh, the C-SPAN joke? What was the C-SPAN joke? C-SPAN makes golf. Look like porn. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's like, I was going to mention that when you were talking about the other terrible, terrible lines. <laughs> They're like, you know, like, you tell Gandhi ate hot dog, blah, blah, blah. Or the, or what's, the, your, what's your cabinet made of? Wood. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, uh, Enron. We'll take your money. Enron. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so well, that's like, that's like. You can hear so... the audience going, wah, wah, wah. And what's sad is like a lot of those one-liners delivered by Rob Williams are clearly him improvising. Yeah. It's like obvious. This is like, I mean, it screams Robin Williams just riffing. I wonder if. And maybe, and this is just a, a straight theory, but the movie is pretty clean. There's not really much swearing. There's not any, like, sexual content. It's pretty chaste. Yeah. Do you think they, I mean, I, I doubt his riffing was ever good, but do you think the riffing was, like, way more adult and, like, dark, and they cut it down to yeah. only the jokes that could be yeah, in a what PG-13 is it, is movie? It's PG-13. It must, it must I think be. it's R. I think it's R. There's probably, that thing drops some F-bombs. There's no nudity or anything. Yeah, Nobody I, gets shot. I don't, yeah, if, 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 if you remember someone saying fuck, then yeah. As soon as they say it's, fuck, it's R. Yeah. You know? But I, like, yeah. I really did not remember. If it, it, if it does, it like, it presents such a, a clean cut image. Yeah. That it's easy to forget that there's any well, it's like there, adultness to it. It goes back to there being absolutely no stakes yeah. in this movie. Yeah. There's no struggle. There's no conflict. Well, in well there is, but it's stupid yeah <laughs> towards the end of watching the movie when they start to realize that rob williams didn't actually get elected to be president i was wondering why more people were upset that he was president what qualifies him to be president and he went on tv and was like this is this was a fraud you voted for a president and not, there was not tv saturday night saturday live. live he was on saturday night live drags Amy Poehler and Tina Fey into this mess. <laughs> Those poor people. Aww. See, okay, 
uh, in the new Fantastic Four, they mentioned Portishead at one point, and it was just like, oh, why does Portishead have to get dragged along with it? And it was like, it was like that with them, Similar. where it was just like, oh, oh. man, people, and it, even worse to see a movie that's so clearly improvised, and then to watch Tina Fey and Amy Poehler have to do shitty dialogue <laughs> with, uh, yeah. with Rob Williams as he's improvising. But okay, they go on, he goes on TV and says, it was a fraud, and people are like, Oh, you're not president. Not like what? Our whole country's democracy can be destroyed that easily. Yeah, they really grab that easily. They really put a bow on that at the end. Yeah, they're like, like, and they went to jail. Everyone loved him for being honest. (laughs) He's a great man. He's still got a great man. He was man of the year. (laughs) (laughs) Also, Time Magazine's man of the year. Also, during that scene where he's on SNL. And he basically he does that big speech where he says, like, I didn't realize, I went to the White House and I didn't realize how important it was to be president. I'm a jester and a jester should never be president. Something along those lines. And so it's like, and that's like basically the end of the movie because before he even finishes that speech, they cut to like exposition being like, ah, eh, you get it. The movie's over. Yeah, they, uh, they cut to Christopher Walken talking to his phantom friend to, and the so friend. Yeah. But, but he's making, but the point he's making is essentially, is it know your place? Is that the lesson of the movie where he's like, I should never. That's a good sh- question. What is the lesson of this movie? <laughs> I mean, I don't know. Because, yeah. I mean, yeah, usually a movie would be like, anybody can make a difference, and his thing was like, he, he got to be president, but he should you shouldn't be president unless you're supposed to be president. Right. It's like, Stay I, I, in your boundaries. Yeah, it's something like that. Or and, like, spectacle in politics is not progress? I don't know. Well, and they even say, like, the incumbent got reelected, and he did much better than expected. Not great, but better <laughs> that's, like all, that's all the change that really happens in the end because yeah. of this <laughs> yeah also was it the republican or the democrat that got elected the democrat it was the democrat yeah. okay I, that. I mean not that it matters it's a fictional movie but... <laughs> I mean, should... trying to parse apart the moral of man of the year is like blood from a stone yeah <laughs> <laughs> let's uh <laughs> move on okay. all right we're kind of getting to the odds and sods here so um i I, I just I do want to say because I love I love Laura Linney and I think she's really great in a lot of stuff. She is probably the worst performance of this movie. Oh, she's really yeah, and she's closer to a hero than anyone else in this movie, is including our protagonist because she actually does have something to battle and she's fighting for like truth above right, all yeah. else. And um, she starts the movie like a normal person and then just gets crazier and crazier and crazier. And even, like, she gets crazy before the drugs, and she's given the drugs, she has that meltdown, and then after the meltdown's over and she's fine, she's still crazy, and she still has, like, like she, she all, and she's always very awkward and stilted. And there's, there's a couple times where it seems like Robin Williams riffed, and she just didn't know how to riff. And right, so she just like, was like, uh, 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 <laughs> right, but there's, we're true. supposed to believe that they're falling in love. Yeah. They, oh, yeah. Oh, could it so painful. No. No. It could. They're not falling in love. No way. But yeah, they played paintball together, so now they, they are. They did. That's that how long, it works. That long, gorgeous paintball <laughs> You sequence. meet someone, you really play important. paintball, and then you fall in love. That's how it works. <laughs> It is, it is weird how bad Laura Linney is in this movie. Yeah. She has an interesting career. That's maybe yeah. another podcast we can do. Even Julianne Moore has 
shitty movies. Her shitty, <laughs> shitty performances. Yeah. So yeah, it happens. Yeah. I don't, I'm not going to hold it against her. She, I I mean, if there was happens, ever a movie to not try on, it was this one. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It seems like Barry told Laura, I, I'm on a first name basis with all of these people. He Barry told her, hey, overact a little bit. Please. Ham it up. Right? I know. I know you're a this good is, actress. This is supposed to I be. I don't a, want you to be that. Yeah, this is supposed to be a comedy. Remember, Laura. <laughs> Can't be too serious. <laughs> is Barry now Arnold? Yeah. Can't be too serious, Laura. You were doing a pretty good walk-in impersonation when we were watching the movie. <laughs> <laughs> I'm uh, not doing it now. You can. Uh, you can edit this out. <laughs> um, another joke that is said in the movie by Rob Williams is that he is at the debate and he's talking about same-sex marriage and he says, anyone who's ever been married knows it's always the same sex. God, that's like the fucking oldest joke in the world. <laughs> it's, it's, it's like, I mentioned this earlier when we were watching, but it's like, this movie is like an old Martian's perspective <laughs> on like politics and comedy and media and love and everything about American culture. I don't know. It's like written by an alien who has like digested like strange bits and pieces of our cultural detritus. Like the jokes are from the 70s. There's like talking about the inner grasp the power of the internet to quote the movie. The internet to, was on fire to propel a candidate to the like, presidency. I think that was on my Mars, favorite. On Mars, they only get TV land. Yeah. <laughs> I think that's why Barry Levinson directed this movie. Yeah, he's trying to tell us that was my favorite thing that Christopher Walken said was the internet was on fire. <laughs> Eight million emails. Seventy five year old Christopher Walken. <laughs> God damn it. In case you're wondering, uh, evidently 8 million Americans emailed somebody? Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> we got all these emails. Who uh, emailed who? <laughs> Where was it like, <laughs> who was receiving them? <laughs> they just were emailing each other. And the, the, NSA, the NSA tracked everybody's emails. Yeah, it's that it Patriot Act shit. It was one of those email chains where they're like, forward this if you think... Tom Dobbs should be president. Yeah, share if you... Yeah. And it's like Tom Dobbs with a Z and then the number four and then Prince. Dobbs for Prince <laughs> with a Z also. And then it's got that line of all those asterisks that actually create a like dinosaur shape. You know, Whoa. in the email chains. I used to get those. Jumped down the and then it, and then, it says, yeah. and then at the bottom it says forward this or you will be cursed. <laughs> Yeah, so that's what the Martians were consuming <laughs> before they wrote Email forwards. They, they, they got a lot of spam. <laughs> they don't have the spam blockers. They got like, they're using, you know, AOL. Netscape. They went to manoftheyear.geocities.com. Barrylevinson.biz. They're... I'm gonna make that my website. <laughs> this is gonna be a hate site. <laughs> I'm Carrie Carrie.biz. Carrie.biz. Email me. Uh, Carrie.biz. No ad. No. Yeah. Carrie.biz. No. Oh my god. Anyway. Oh, oh god. Do you guys have any other, like, 
need for things to talk about. Like really, it's like, yeah, there's anything else, like, pretty much every point, every other point I have written down is just so, so minute that it almost feels petty to complain about it after everything else. Yeah. Well, we could, it's, yeah. We, right. I, I wrote down, um, Donald Trump. <laughs> because this movie is an interesting, well, okay, this movie's not interesting in any way, really, except in how terrible it is. Let me, but, let me take that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, rewind. Uh, but the fact that this movie exists, and now Donald Trump is running for president, and he did basically at the debate what Robin Williams does in the debate in the movie. Yeah, yeah I mean, he did, like, disrespect the moderator. Yeah. And, yeah, he just basically just kind of walked all over everybody and made it his thing. Yeah, uh, but, like, no, I honestly did kind of want to do this movie because of that, but I really could not. This movie is so badly made that I can't even see, like, a parallel. Like, I can't even really make a parallel because, like, you could do anything. You can pick, we can parallel brain damage with Donald Trump's campaign because uh, for how <laughs> accurately uh, that conveys what uh, Donald Trump is and what it talks about. And it's just, yeah, I, I, I couldn't find an actual political subtext to talk about because this movie doesn't really know it anything about politics. It's just so false yeah. on every yeah. single point it's trying to make. It's just so incredible. Discredible. This baby. <laughs> it really, it like, it really reduces. It very cynically reduces the election to like a, an image game, as if like, and it because we it doesn't include the populace at all. Like, no point is that a part of it. It never talks about like, oh well, people would be offended by this or whatever. It's just like, well, he was the loudest at the debate, so he was the best, and he's a comedian and the president, so he's the most interesting, and it doesn't. Like, people, a lot of people are dumb, but still a lot of people would be like, well, that kind of offended me that he didn't try at the debate, that he only told hacky vaudeville jokes instead of making actual policy suggestions. Yeah, he wasn't very polite. It really just doesn't even seem to care about trying to say anything about politics. It really just, again, this movie came out of an era when Jon Stewart was pretty much four days a week directly attacking what the Bush uh, presidency was doing at that time. The Bush government, the war in Iraq, things like that. It, it was him and Colbert and uh, all the late night people. Even if you didn't necessarily think they were funny, you have to appreciate they were taking a stand on issues and doing something that was kind of not really uh, common, which is like really making yourself, like politicizing your comedy to such a degree. And this movie is clearly jumping off of that, directly references them and lumps Tom Dobbs in with these people. But by the fact that all the comedy in the movie is just hacky, simplistic jokes, and it's just crowd-pleasing, no one ever actually suggests how to make the country better, right. it does a massive disservice to what Jon Stewart and Colbert and Letterman and Bill Maher, and I don't say Bill Maher. Right. But, you mean yeah. actual comedy writers? Yeah, actual comedy writer, writers, what they, it does a great disservice to how hard it is to write good, thought-provoking comedy, and how hard it is to put yourself out there and challenge yeah. the status yeah. quo yeah. that way. It makes it look so easy, yeah. and, like, and it basically does it without even trying to make it funny at the same time. So it's well, just, and this movie also doesn't really date itself because the political topics that it does touch on are so vague and 
broad that airport security yeah airport yeah security. the environment and like the, no policy point about the quote-unquote environments is like ever stated yeah, yeah. instead of stating what his platform is instead rob williams like i've smoked pot before i farted a little while ago <laughs> <laughs> that is i cool. uh i uh am divorced you know he he just instead of stating what he would do for the country, he's like, this is he's a little a bit about myself. Right. He's just a clown. And it's because he's just a clown. He, yeah. It's, it's, it, makes, it, has no... it makes the possibility of him ever being elected to the president so, incre- like, so stupid. Yeah. yeah. It makes no political statement, the movie, well, even though it's about politics. Right. And there's that scene towards the end, too, when he's meeting with the president and he's going to leave the White House after talking to the incumbent president. And the guy said, like, I really didn't expect you to win. I underestimated you. But nothing he's done deserves that. He hasn't proven himself. At no point does Robin Williams prove himself to be anything other than a guy who tells jokes. He doesn't... And, I mean, granted, he doesn't stay president, but it seems like for the president to tell this guy that he's earned his respect, he would have to do something... He he hadn't even been honest about not being elected at that point. He just... They just assumed that by being in a famous position and having a public image, that's respectable. And winning automatically makes you respectable, regardless of how you win. It's yeah. just so stupid. <laughs> I, I just remembered something that we haven't really touched on, and it kind of goes, it goes back to our discussion of the writing of this movie. But, so the main, the plot point of the movie is that there's this company that builds this voting technology and because there's a glitch in the voting technology robin williams wins the election but the glitch is that the company forgot to check to see if there was an alphabetical error that's the glitch that hinges the whole movie and again old martians yeah Yeah, but I love later in the movie when uh, Laura Linney gets hit by that car. I don't love that part, but I love, <laughs> love it. I love when That's she's like about to get loaded into the ambulance and she's like, double G's, <laughs> double F's, double G's. That was one of the unintentionally funny moments. The main thing is the people who were being voted on uh, are Dobbs, double B's. Kellogg, double L's and double G's, and then Mills, which is double L's, in case you don't know how to spell. Uh, and in case you don't eat cereal. Yeah, yeah. or cereal. And because B become comes before G and L, that's why he won. That's it. That's the whole reason. <laughs> Computers, no one understands them. Barry Levinson certainly doesn't. <laughs> nope. Well, and evidently in the movie, the government doesn't understand how computers work because don't you think that would have been a test that they would have run? Yeah, it's a really, yeah, good point. They test it for the first time ever on on presidential election. And then there's that scene where Jeff Goldblum's like talking, he's talking to Laura Linney and he's like, why would you run that test? Don't you know you're putting the company in danger? And it's like, yeah, well, she was doing her job. She was running the test because that's what you do with computer programs. And it seems like, it's like, since it's a computer program, all you would really need to do is, like, 
adjust the program and just like resend it to like yeah. all the stations, right? Yeah. Just, it seems like it's you would like, be able to add one line of code, like do not right, yeah, exactly. <laughs> like not. this is not like a major, like it's a problem, but it's fixable. Yeah. Also, can you imagine in this country how inefficiently everything works? Having the same brand of voting machine successfully delivered to every single voting location in the United States. <laughs> nobody used paper. Nobody used the way that everybody votes. For like everyone in Wyoming, every district in Wyoming got their own Delacroix computer systems. Uh, like oh, and their touch screens. Their touch screens. Yeah. That's not a, a waste of money for our government. It had to have been like multi, like millions You're, had to have been spent just to, to do that election. Your alien theory is looking more and more yeah, true. accurate. Just, <laughs> or just, you know, old Martians, a.k.a. Barry Levinson. <laughs> a like a 70-year-old man who's lived in Hollywood the past 40 years of his life. Might as well be from Mars. Very disconnected. Yes. Should we do... Final thoughts. Yeah, you guys, okay, yeah. What's your teachable lesson and your final thoughts on this, Wade? You want me to start? Yeah, you go. Yeah, All right, you well, go. this is a tough one because usually a movie has some good element that you can cite, and I don't want to just say, like, watch it so you can just see what a piece of garbage it is. This is a really great example of terrible editing. Editing is about shot choices and pacing and this movie has no pacing you have no understanding of where things are in relation to each other and a lot of that's the bad directing and you can definitely learn a lot about bad directing from any Barry Levinson movie but the editing which is somehow done by two people in this movie is like egregiously bad and somehow makes something that would have been terrible from the beginning to end drag even more and just take forever and they repeat things Watch this as basically scene by scene what not to do as an editor. That's a pretty good teachable yeah. moment. All right, I think. good. I think my teachable moment would be if you ever choose to watch Man of the Year, <laughs> especially after listening to us just harangue <laughs> against it for maybe an hour, appreciate movies that are competently made. Mm. <laughs> Making movies are hard. It's like it's hard to make a movie. It's like not an easy thing to do. But bad movies, and so, let me back up. Let me this out, maybe. I can say this better. You could say that us taking apart Man of the Years as like kind of being snobbish about movies and whatnot. But the fact of the matter is, is Man of the Year is boring as hell. Yeah. It is really boring, and that is because it is such a terribly made movie. As you said, like, the editing is so bad. The camera work is just, like, flippant and directionless. The acting is, like, horrible. The writing is horrible. The improvisation is just lifeless. Yeah. Like, every scene of this movie is just, like, so misbegotten. And it's, like, it's not, like, bad in the way that Transformers, you know, like, oh, we hate black people and stuff like that. You know, it's bad. This movie is just bad in that it's, like, it's, it's so boring and... You should appreciate movies that are well made. <laughs> it's like eating your vegetables, basically. Like, kind of, you, you know. Gotta, sometimes you have to do a little work to appreciate what you really like. Yeah. Not even. It's like a game. Like good movies can be like not like hard to digest. That's true. Yeah. That's you an know? unfair comparison. Yeah. yeah. Vegetables are also good for you. <laughs> so <laughs> it's like it's like making the comparison between like eating vegetables and like, eating rocks. Yeah. This is like <laughs> taking, taking your liver oil. You can <laughs> you can watch a good movie and still not enjoy it, but you can appreciate that it's good. 
you know? Yeah. yeah. There's a lot of movies like that where I watch it and I'm like, I'm glad I watched that and I will probably never watch that again. Yeah. Of course, I can't think of an example right the now. The one I think of is like Under the Skin, where I was like, I see why this is a good movie, but I just like really did does not click for me. I know it's a really, yeah. a really terrible example because it's not a universal example, but... Man of the Year is not a movie that you can objectively watch and just give it the benefit of the doubt and pick out the way in which it's strong because it doesn't allow for that. I don't really have too much to add off of what you guys have said, but I guess my thing I would say is don't trust Barry Levinson. (laughs) He's burned me so much so often. The only one he didn't burn me on was Spear, and Spear is still bad, but it's hilarious. Well, and you said you like toys, too. Yeah, I like toys, but toys is really... it. There's something off about toys. But the way that it's off... Are you disrespecting my duplication investigation? <laughs> the thing I like about toys is I'm a big sucker for good production design. That movie is amazingly designed. It, it looks beautiful. Like, the whole house or factory that toys is set in is yeah, it's, gorgeous it's building off the work of Magritte yeah and I mean I love Magritte so I think it looks beautiful and I think that is really the saving grace for toys otherwise it would probably be like a throwaway movie you know it really wouldn't have a cult following I don't think yeah and and I already mentioned sphere but like sleepers is so boring and so sad it's so sad I mean it's about young boys who get raped in jail it's like oh i don't want to watch there you go that's an example of a movie i never want to watch again not because i thought it was good but because it was so sad and unpleasant (laughs) to watch bandits is another terrible movie and it has a great cast it's got billy bob thornton uh kate blanchett and bruce willis all great actors and still barry levinson's like i'm gonna make this terrible movie about right. bandits. So your point, your teachable lesson is that very low. It sucks. Yeah. <laughs> I, watch yeah. <laughs> if he's attached can, to a project, yeah, just steer I, I can keep going, but I'll, I'll cut myself off now. Yeah. Don't or, see Rock the Casbah when it comes out at the end of this year. Yeah. Don't see, Even though Bill Murray's in it. Don't, don't see his, like, in, his apparent biopic of Hank Aaron. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. All Whoa. the people who are who direct this biopic. They're like, who likes baseball? (laughs) (laughs) 85-year-old man. Haven't we made enough biopics about baseball players? Like, what else can we learn? We need need a couple more. We need the one about the first person. When is the Ty Cobb Cobb one going to come out? Also, and when is the Babe Ruth one going to come out? That one came out. John Goodman was Babe Ruth. Yeah, a long time ago. It's way too depressing. It's in Roger Ebert's I Hate It, Hate It. (laughs) I was going to say, I would love to see Paul Giamatti play Babe Ruth. (laughs) (laughs) He's like this, he's a little too old now. man. He can't play Babe Ruth. Well, it's just just an idea. Anyway, yeah. biopics. Pete Rose. Pete Rose biopic. Yeah. Uh, I would see that one. That one needs to go. That. I think they have to wait until Pete Rose dies. I would There's probably to... some kind of agreement, like, okay, we won't make a movie about how addicted to drugs them. you were. I would love, like, a Charlie... Insane. <laughs> I would love, like, a Charlie Kaufman screenplay about Pete Rose. <laughs> oh, <laughs> Just, like, touching... I That's intriguing. Yeah, yeah, there's there's so much about Pete Rose that you could dig into. And his Kaufman-esque. His life is so Rose. tragic, but also he really did it to himself. There's, I don't know, that, that would be a great movie, but, yeah, no more baseball movies other than that, I yeah. guess. 
Or a movie about a catcher for once. Come on. <laughs> yeah, where are all those famous catchers? <laughs> Shortstop the movie. <laughs> Second base. About it's better than first. <laughs> That's the catch line. <laughs> <laughs> People are really It's like that. a long lost Jonathan Taylor Thomas movie. <laughs> oh, I would see that. <laughs> yeah, see. 90s Carrie would definitely see that. <laughs> All right? over it, slobbering. <laughs> what is JTT up to now? He's probably dead. <gasps> and on that note, <laughs> <laughs> on that note, well, that was Man of the Year. Uh, don't see it. Don't watch it unless you're a masochist or. Or you're asleep, been... you're not going to know either yeah. way, you just need a, a TV on so that you can sleep, and uh, you probably do worse. You're not supposed to sleep with TVs on, it's bad for you. TV death. Maybe yeah. if you got, like, <laughs> neighbors TV. having really loud, like, gross sex. You need to get revenge on them. You play Man of the Year really loudly. <laughs> Projected on the side of their house. <laughs> Alright. Well... Uh, this has been The Secret Cinema. <laughs> Our silliest sign-up yet. I'm, uh, I'm Paolo. I'm Carrie. I'm Wade. Thanks for listening. presidential debate between the major candidates for President of the United States. The candidates are the Democratic nominee, President Kellogg, the Republican nominee, Senator Mills, and for the first time included in tonight's debate, the independent Tom Dobbs. My name is Faith Daniels, and I'll be the moderator for tonight's 90-minute debate, which is coming to you this evening Cleavish. from the campus of the University of Chicago. Now, the format has been agreed to by representatives of both the Republican and the Democratic campaigns. Yeah. There is no subject matter that's restricted. As always, each candidate will have up to two minutes to make a closing <laughs> statement. The order of those, as well as the formal questioning tonight, were decided in advance by drawing. Gentlemen, again, good evening and welcome. Let's begin. Mr. Dobbs. How would you explain your decision to run for President of the United States? I decided to run because I'm fed up with party politics. I'm tired of the Republican Party. I'm tired of the Democratic Party. Oh, little There's no real difference. It's Mr. Potato Candidate. Basically, you have a thing here where here's the operative word, party. Because behind closed doors, whew, I think they just have a really good time. When you read some of the transcripts, some of the things your Secretary of Defense says, I've, I think there must be an open bar somewhere. <laughs> because the bottom line is, they've lost track of what they're responsible for. They're responsible to the people, not party loyalties, and definitely not lobbyists. That's why I want to run for president. Not punchy enough. I never thought I'd be saying this He's tonight, but uh, you have one minute remaining on your time, Mr. Dobbs. Can I get a refund? We will continue. Okay. Senator Mills, I'd like to ask you the same question. 
Well, first of all, thank you, Faith, and thank all of you who are responsible for having us here this evening. I'd also like to thank my wife and children who have been very supportive of my candidacy, have been very helpful. This guy smiles so much it's starting to upset me. I would like to thank all of those of you who made this possible. And if I may reiterate some of the comments of Senator Mills with respect to family, children, wives, and immediate family, and the enormously important role that they play in our failure or success, and in my case, success. My love to them, my love to all of you who have what? lent so much support to me and my party on. now and over the years. You know, who cares? Thank you so much. And that's why I have been a very rigorous advocate of tough security measures that President Kellogg and I think alike in this area. I am in total agreement, without equivocation, that security measures have got to remain tough. Mr. Dobbs, what would your position be on national security? All right, come on. Go on, Tom. Go for it. Do it. I believe that some of these measures are already tough. If you've ever been through passport control, you stand in line with thousands of people. Eventually, you get to an immigration officer who's behind bulletproof glass. He takes your passport, looks at your passport picture, looks back at you, looks at your passport picture, sees, why do you have your haircut? I don't know. I felt good about myself. <laughs> the next thing he does is they have a video camera that takes a picture of you, then it compares it to a previous picture of you. They're very tough about that. They're very skeptical. He's got to make his move. That's what they do. More oomph. Meanwhile, at the southern borders of our country, four million illegal aliens are crossing the border with bedroom sets and night tables. Hit them again. And we're trying to re-enter the country legally. And they're asking you tough questions like, where have you been? Why were you there? And you start to doubt yourself, like, I, I, I forgot why I was there. <laughs> I guess it was pleasure. I guess it was pleasure. I, yeah, I felt it was a vacation. I'm sorry, I took a vacation. I don't know why. <laughs> and, then, and then the next thing you know, they're patting down an 85-year-old lady in a walker. Listen, if there's an 85-year-old lady in a walker and she's a terrorist, basically, game's over, folks. <laughs> and when they start to put on that rubber glove and look at me, I'm going, okay. Maybe we should have dinner first before we do this. You know, I'm saying, let's have real security and not just the illusion of security oh, and be distracted oh, yeah. by yeah. that. That's all I'm saying. All right. oh. I fully support hydrogen cars. That's weird, because so you're backed by oil companies. You'll have your turn, Mr. Dobbs. Sorry. As I was saying, some of my colleagues and I in the Senate have come up with a very interesting strategy but to deal with... But if you're with oil companies, how can you be talking about fuel efficiencies? I mean, that's like being a kosher pig farmer. He's getting angry. Uh, this is not your talk show, Mr. Dobbs. Uh, and you're not on your private plane flying to the golf vacation you took with the three he heads of the major oil corporations. Wow. Well, how did you get there? It's and, like something I never saw before. Mr. Dobbs, you, you have to return to the podium. Oh, that's a blimp. I'm sorry. Yeah, no Dobbs. smoking in the hydrogen. Boom! Hindenburg. Okay. Mr. Dobbs, well, no, please. No, I'm just saying. Please, let's Of course it's for it's going to take 30 years to develop, and meanwhile, we still haven't got any more fuel efficiency. We're not exploring alternative fuels like methane. I know it's hard to do holding that chicken over the gas tank, but you know, or ethanol, which is basically fuel Mr. alcohol. Dodds. It's grain alcohol. You can say, if I get stopped by the police, my car's been drinking. Not me, baby. <laughs> or maybe helium, because if you have a helium car, if you have a helium car, you, you get rear-ended, next thing you know, hey, something's wrong. <laughs> 
Mr. Dobbs, you have got to return to your podium. Well, some order. We have, have some order. Yes, you have, talk about responsibility. What about you? Your Treasury Department lost twenty-eight we billion dollars. They have can't account for it. Tell me, tell me that you are not receiving major campaign finance contributions from the oil companies. That's oh, Mr. I Dobbs. don't take kindly to the fact that you're calling me a liar, Mr. Dobbs. I basically say, if this is a debate, you should answer questions honestly. You should be accountable for who you are. The voters should know, basically, what you represent. And if you're representing special interest groups, maybe we should be like NASCAR. You know, we'd be in the Senate with our suits on, and basically they should know if you're backed by something. It'd be like little patches like they wear in NASCAR. You can say, you know, Vioxx, the backaches end, the heart attacks begin. We'll put the big one on the back, Enron. We take your money and run. Smackdown. Accountability. It's all about accountability. We I'm saying that. hundred million dollars the government bought in airplane tickets. Oh, for God's sakes. And yet you they're refundable. Here. Stand they're by Take three. And for the refund, and the airlines are Faith, can you, Faith, know, can you hear me? Yes. Can you get control of this, please? Get control of this. Don't you see? We deal in weapons of mass destruction. They push your buttons. That's how they do it. He's talking about hydrogen fuel. They also, he wants an amendment to the Constitution on flag burning. It's an emotional issue. They're talking about the desecration of the flag. But if you go online right now, you can buy flag underwear. You can see an old lady basically wearing a flag thong and go, oh, grandma, don't tell me where old glory is. It's all about distraction. Mr. Dobbs. No, no, sir. Mr. Kellogg. This is ridiculous. This amendment against same-sex marriage. Anybody who's ever been married knows it's always the same sex. Mr. Dobbs. They don't have to do it. What's under there? Mr. Dobbs, please. This is distraction. They point over here. They point over there. They want you not to know. You don't want to have an amendment to the Constitution burning the flag. Make it out of asbestos. No one wants to touch the flag. Mr. Jobs, please do not make a mockery of this process. Return to your podium. Long time before I came here, Mr. Dobbs! Uh, now we got applause. This is wonderful. Thanks, so we're out of control here. We're absolutely out of control. $200 billion, you can buy a few books! Cinema is produced and edited by Paolo Crow. All theme songs were performed and recorded by Ricardo Ortiz. Any additional music or samples come from the film covered on this week's episode. All logos and artwork created by Carrie Chapin. You can follow Carrie on Instagram at Carrie Saw This and see more of her artwork at www.carriechafee.com. You can watch Paolo's short films at vimeo.com slash paolocarone or read more of his ramblings about film at letterbox.com slash paoloerasmus. The Secret Cinema is a commentary and criticism podcast, and its use of film dialogue and film music for illustrative purposes falls under the fair use provisions of U.S. copyright law. Thanks again for listening.